Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to another episode of Midweek in the Word. We're thrilled that you're joining us again this week. Uh, You will notice real quickly that we are recording on Thursday instead of Wednesday. We appreciate your patience for those of you that like to jump on the podcast right away. Uh, But we had a technical thing that we were transferring over here on staff, and so and so we needed an extra day. But we're coming to you again this week. Hopefully you didn't give us give up hope on us. Um, as always, I am Brad Myers, Faith Bible Church's adult ministries pastor and your host on the podcast, and I'm joined again by Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor. Thanks for joining us, Tom, on yeah. the podcast. Well, good morning, late in the week. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, the good news is that should that should give you some some fresh insight into what Sunday is going to look like. We're almost um, there. Hopefully, we can still remember what happened last <laughs> week in your Route sixty six sermon series. If you're new to the podcast or new to the church, uh, we just want to note that Tom has been going through Genesis through Revelation in the Bible over the course of this year, twenty twenty, um, in a series he's calling Route sixty six: Snapshots from Genesis to Revelation, how every sign points to Christ. Um, and so, each book and each character you've been looking at Tom has been asking the same three questions. This last week in your message, you covered the the minor prophet, Zechariah, and you were looking at the first and 14th chapters primarily in that book. Um, We want to come back to the same questions we ask every week. Uh, What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? And how does it point us to Christ? So what did we learn about God from the life and ministry of Zechariah on Sunday? Yeah, I think the takeaway for that is it's been in some of the others as well, but uh, God is reminding us that He is sovereign over all of history, and uh, the low times in Israel's history, as well as the promise of the glorious days yet to come, that uh, He is Lord over all of that. And uh, the big emphasis, I think, in Zechariah was on on that day. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are no coincidences along the way, but God is controlling all of that working out His purposes. Mm, very much so. And our topic this week is going to touch a little bit about how yeah. God is working and, and some of the, the imagery that we see in the book of Jer- or Zechariah. But before we get there, we want to also talk about mankind. What did we learn about ourselves on Sunday? Well, well clearly, He reminds us that we need a shepherd. We need someone to care for mm. us, to guide us, to protect us. We're, I, I think, as Isaiah would say, we're, we're prone to wander. Mm. And so as you're reading through Zechariah, you see that again, that... Uh, the people of Israel need someone to go before them and lead the way. Hmm. Even after all the encouraging events yeah. that we've talked about in their history and being brought back from exile, uh, the heart of man is, is still the same. Uh, finally, how did, how did it point us to Christ? Well, it, as we said Sunday, it, probably other than Isaiah, the Gospels refer back to Zechariah more hmm. than any of the other uh, Old Testament texts. I think the one that really stood out again was that we have one who is coming as a shepherd. The failed kings and leaders of Israel had abused and misused the people, and there is coming a good shepherd who will actually die for his flock and rescue them in that way. So look to the good shepherd yet to come. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you for that message on Sunday. 
Uh, one of the things that I wanted to focus in a little bit on, because I know you didn't have the chance in your message on Sunday <laughs> to go into it very much, yeah. is you mentioned briefly Zachariah's visions. Um, again, in a message, you can only cover so much, and you already had 14 chapters to try and get through <laughs> in the week. Um, so you tipped your hand a bit, but I want to dive into that just a bit more on this week's podcast. We had visions about horsemen. We had visions about horns. We had visions about measuring lines and golden lampstands and any number of different things that probably seem pretty bizarre uh, to most of our listeners and definitely is intimidating from a, from a biblical interpretation standpoint. Uh, but these sorts of passages, these visions, these dreams are really common in the Bible. So I'd like to discuss them a little more on the podcast because they represent a style um, that's, that's consistently seen throughout Scripture. Um, so listeners, this week on the podcast, we're covering talking about visions, dreams, and imagery. And don't tune us out too quickly. It's not going to get too bizarre, but we're going to try to bring some clarity to what yeah. are probably some strange passages in your mind. Um, but as always, Tom, before, before we get into the nitty-gritty details of this, we really want to lay the groundwork a bit for this discussion. Uh, where, where do we commonly find these sorts of visions or dreams in Scripture? Well, they, they occur in several places, but uh, I noticed that, first of all, in Genesis, there are a number of occurrences where uh, the patriarchs were directed by God through visions. Mm-hmm. You see them for certain in the prophets. Uh, many of the messages given to the prophets to be delivered to the people come via visions and dreams. Uh, also see them in the book of Acts, and mm-hmm. uh, both Peter and Paul had specific visions. Even Ananias had one about mm-hmm. Paul and his yeah. call to ministry. But then clearly, you know, through John's uh, revelation uh, at the very end of the Scripture. So it's not on every page of the Scripture, but uh, in almost every context, you will run into a vision here and there. Yeah, and obviously, one of the things we even notice is how many of them are connected, those similar images, yep. similar yeah. pictures, similar things that we find in those visions. Okay, so so we could run into these in just about anywhere we find ourselves in Scripture, and though they seem a little strange to us, we are still meant to be encouraged and edified by what we read in them. Um, so how are we meant to interpret them? I mean, are there some principles that are worth applying when we come to something like this in Scripture? Well, when you run into them, you you certainly have to stop and ask yourself, again, we go back to the coma thing, but they appear in a particular context, and so you ask about that. And then secondly, you have to recognize that their source is God who desires to communicate. Hmm. And uh, so the principle is that you don't run from them, but you pause to say, these are meant to be understood. So uh, clear reading, uh, being cautious uh, not to read into them further than what the Scripture reads into them. The Scripture gives interpretive uh, secrets or insights along the way. Okay. Well, I, I just got to thinking about something. Let's, let's back up here a second. Um, if, if we're running into these all over the place and context is really critical to, to follow along, then how do we know we've come across a topic like this? How do we know we've come across a vision in Scripture? Usually it's declared to be, I saw, or it appeared to me, okay. or uh, in a dream, I, uh, there, there's, there seems to be that there's a setup. It's, it's not usually just a, a, a vision articulated without an introductory phrase coming, or a, a follow-up one asking what it means, if that question's raised by the recipient of the dream, then you know that we're talking about a vision from God. Okay. Well, that, well, that's helpful. As we're reading, we can find them anywhere. So when we come across phrases like that, we know to tip our hand and go, okay, there's something going on here. Something special is taking place. Um, but I like that you've already stressed the idea that 
we're meant to interpret them. God is revealing himself. Yeah. We shouldn't run from them. Yeah. So, so what is it that the biblical author is trying to share by, by sharing a vision or a dream? Um, we've always talked about authorial intent and how do we get back to what yeah. the author, both human and divine, was trying to communicate? Why, why go there? Why do they use this type of, of story or vision? Well, I, I think uh, it's almost like riddles in that. I, I think they're crafted to give us word pictures, to, mm. to inspire our interpretive curiosity, perhaps, uh, to not rush through the message too quickly, but to step back and say, this, this image stands for something. And uh, so it, it, it slows us down in the process. It, it also sometimes makes understandable what would be abstract, mm. uh, where God is trying to communicate uh, divine truths to humanity. So he uses images that they would have familiarity with, often messing them up. So you got a man that's uh, you got a got a four-headed individual that's got a man face and an animal face and whatever. But that, all of those are something that the man could identify hmm. from his normal uh, walk of life. Hmm. So maybe it's appropriate, I just, I'm just listening to what you're saying here, and maybe it's appropriate to think of them kind of as a combination of a couple of other topics we've already discussed. Yeah. We've talked about how in poetry we get this flowery language, we yeah. get pictures that are meant to convey a meaning. So some, some of what we're thinking there, these metaphors and these images that were coming in. The other thing that keeps coming up that we've talked about is different themes throughout Scripture, yeah. these common pictures like like. Babylon that yep. we talked about, that every time Scripture brings up Babylon, there's all this extra that goes with it. And so a lot of times these visions, what you're saying, is they pull on these strong images, these strong mental pictures, yep. and they also really tug on a lot of those themes yep. that we see throughout yep. Scripture. Though, though they're a little bizarre sometimes, if yep. taken totally by themselves, they expand on a theme that the Bible has probably already introduced in some capacity yep. in Scripture. Fair to say? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the keys to interpreting is is to not not to depart from the scripture, let the scriptures interpret scriptures. Mm. So to take the time to find out was was this imagery used later or previous that would shed light on the present text mm. because it's all written by one author. Uh, we we have to let the Bible be its primary interpreter. Mm. That's really yeah. helpful. And I know you talked about you know obviously John's. John's writing in the book of Revelation, yeah. and I, I can't help but think as we've walked through a lot of these prophets in the Old Testament, how strongly John pulls on those yeah. themes that we've seen Old Testament prophets introduce, even though we're talking a different vision in the New Testament, there's a strong correlation yeah. with some of these thematic elements that we've picked up in different prophets. All right, very good. Well, hopefully that sets the framework here a bit for us as far as how do we know when we've run into them? What do we do? How do we lean into the challenge that we really see in these dreams and visions in Scripture? And then how do we stop and try and apply them or these principles well to interpreting them, consider the whole of Scripture, some of those sort of things? Uh, but let's let's try and get really practical because I, I find that's helpful for people. And so so I want to I wanna use an example from Zechariah, specifically from the second chapter of Zechariah. You didn't have the chance to preach on it. But I wanted to dive into one of Zechariah's visions in particular. Uh, Zechariah 2, we get uh, what the, the, the ESV Bible calls a vision of a man with a measuring line, which already kind of goes, okay, it's telling us <laughs> we got something here that we're talking about. And just like you talked about, it talks about, I lifted up my eyes. So we get an introduction yeah. to this. Um, but before we actually get into interpreting it through the coma method, Tom, let's, 
Let's do think about context. What is going on in the second chapter before I actually read the vision uh, that would help us to understand the context of Zechariah's message? Well, the historic <clears throat> context is that it's uh, been 16 years since they had come back into the land under the command of Cyrus to rebuild the temple. And through th- uh, threats from the neighbors as well as a, a, a royal edict to stop the construction, 16 years has lapsed. They have just begun to rebuild again after that 16-year thing. Haggai's been preaching, challenging them, the reason that your life is suffering. So, so he's calling the people back into action who are discouraged and distracted. Uh, so that that's the... That's the uh, historic context. The theological context is the the city of God and the temple of God is the place where the glory of God is revealed. Mm. And so that has been lost. It's become a mockery. So he is talking about restoring God's observable glory as well. Okay. So reprioritizing the temple and God's glory amongst the people who are distracted and rebelling and struggling a bit in their time. All right. Let me just read Zechariah 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, the whole chapter, which basically encompasses this vision. And then we'll walk through it a little bit, listeners. Uh, And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her as a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. There's that theme again. Uh Uh, For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah and his portion in the holy land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Okay, so we, we've looked at the context. We know what's going on with the nation and the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Um, now, observation. Yeah. What things in this vision are noteworthy that we should keep an eye out for? Well, there, there are several uh, repetitions that, that hit the vision. I think it's eight times it's declared that it, God is speaking. Mm-hmm. So we need to take note of that, that this is not Zechariah trying to describe to the people something that he understands. Yeah. It's God speaking to Zechariah to help him understand what he does not understand as first. I think that the involvement of angels, which indicates that, again, this is a message sent from the throne room of God. Uh, the number of times that Jerusalem or Zion is mentioned, I think I counted five times in the in this context. It talks about Jerusalem, Zion, that, that would be defined as the city of God. 
Uh, and then four times in there, uh, God declares, I, I will be the glory in her midst or I will dwell in her midst. Again, historically realized that his glory had been removed when uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come and captured it and God surrendered his city to the foreign. So all of those themes are intertwined in this one short passage. Okay. Okay. So we get we get some of these images we've talked about. We get the city in Zion. We get Babylon and that coming up. We get some of these other metaphors and things like that that are worth noting as we walk through it, the wall and the city and, and a lot of those kind of things. Okay. So then we move from observation, understanding the context, to observation, what we're seeing in the content of this vision, to finally the meaning. What is the meaning of this vision in Zechariah? Well, I... I I assume that you picked this one as the illustration because of your construction management training background. <laughs> Any my, chance my I get, that's it. My carts were being a survey for the city for all those years. But there, there's this measuring line. It's interesting. We go back to the historic context. And at this point, not only is the temple not complete, and they're restoring the walls of the temple, but that's Haggai's message, and it, it will be Zechariah's in other places. But in this context, he's talking about the walls of the city. Hmm. And it's interesting that subsequent to this, about uh, down the road another 13 years or so, you know, Nehemiah is going to come and rebuild the walls of the city. And yet here hmm. he's saying, take that tape measure or that, that standard of measurement and realize that the city is growing. The city is going to be larger. It's just going beyond the walls. And so he throws in there, it is a village and a city without walls, but it does have a wall. Her wall is God who will be a fire around her. So you see the holiness of God, the protective, they can't approach it. So you, you've got, so what does that mean to Israel? Well, the first hearer, as he hears this, he begins to be encouraged again. He's discouraged right now. The temple construction is laborious and it doesn't look like it did before it was burned down. The walls are down, but I just heard a message of hope. And that is that the new city is going to be better than the old city. So it, it, to, to inspire them to work hard. Yeah, I, I love that you you highlighted that verse because I, I just I find the imagery again of verse five there so powerful. Yeah, uh, and I will be to her a wall of fire all around. They should remember that from the the yeah. pillar of fire from yep. Egypt that went yep. before them. God is this wall of fire surrounding the city so that they don't need physical walls. Yeah. Even though, again, to your point, Nehemiah is going to rebuild the physical yeah. walls. Yeah. The ultimate protection for the people of God comes from the God they and serve. And a reminder, when, when the fire of the Shekinah presence mm. covered the holy mountain, it became unapproachable. Yeah. Therefore, those who are in this city will be under no fear because, again, the Shekinah cloud that protected them against the Egyptians is now protecting them yeah. against other assaults. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I will be the glory in her midst. That's Just the incredible reality yeah. um, in that, that God will dwell among his people, which is really highlighted here in this verse, that idea that God, you know, I, again, go down to 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Again, Just incredible. verse 11, and I will dwell in your midst. And again, verse 13, uh, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling, yeah. which is right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very much so. Yeah. Okay, so, so we've noted these things. We recognize that this is meant to be an encouraging vision uh, for the people of, of Israel that are struggling at this time. Um, 
what what is the significance for us? Because the last step of coma, context observation, yeah. meaning application. So application to the original hearers. What about application to us in our current season? Why why would we bother to read a vision like this? Well, when it, whenever you see an Old Testament and you're asking, so how do I apply it again? There's the context is set. We just have to do the heavy work of finding it. Observations are right before you. Just have to highlight those. Meaning is established. It's what the author intended to communicate the message. So we're asking, if I was the first hearer, what would I have understood? But then the application can go multiple directions. So in Romans 15, uh, he says, uh, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. So we come mm. back to it, and there's a number of things. Number one is, is that, that even in hard times, God is faithful, and his purposes and plans are being accomplished. Mm. It was for Israel. It will be for us. Uh, I think another one is that God is faithful, that uh, he will restore and reveal his glory in our presence as we wait on him and as we serve him. I think uh, three, uh, for those that are fearful, it is a reminder that God is our protection, that, that our hope is this invisible presence of the holy God. So, you know, there's, there's probably three or four directions you can go with the application, but, but reading this, it reminds us again that, that, uh, that, that God's plans and purposes are eternal. Uh, our, our existence is temporal. Our concerns are so limited in their time that we pull back and realize we are part of God's big eternal plan, and by His grace, He's included us in it. Mm. I can't. Just everything you're saying has reminded me. I was just reading in Second Corinthians, mm. chapter six, in, in Paul's encouragement to that church in Corinth, um, talking about after after their ministry of reconciliation, their mission that they have. He reminds them, um, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in affliction, hardships, calamities, beating, imprisonment. He goes on and on and on. Uh, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying. And it's, it's that great reminder that no. in the economy of the world, it looks like everything's not working. Yeah. Jerusalem looks yeah. broken down, the walls aren't working, but in the economy of God, when He is your protector, you have nothing to fear. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's a, there, there's a huge exhortation in the last verse of the chapter, be silent all flesh before the Lord, for He has roused Himself from his holy dwelling place. So I, I think we need to be reminded, sometimes we just need to quit complaining mm. and just stop and remember. Mm. And uh, I, I just be silent yeah. and wait. The book of Psalms, right? Be yeah. still and know that I am God. Yeah. yeah. Good reminder for us. Well, hopefully, listeners, this has been helpful. I know there's a whole lot of other visions and dreams that we could we could tackle individually. Yeah, there's more right here. <laughs> They're all over the place. They are all over the place. I, but, would, I would say to be encouraged by the fact that Zechariah didn't understand them either. He had to have an angel mm, come and interpret them. There, there you go. And, and many of the biblical authors, the characters we see, do have to have that's some right. help. Yeah, uh, John's right. always asking, what am I supposed to do with this that's right. sort of thing? So, um, so, so yeah, we, we hope it's an encouragement to you listeners, and, and we hope this is shed a little bit of light on it. As a reminder, some of what we've talked about here is, is, is to remember that when you find these things, when you come across them, don't just consider them as bizarre things to be skipped that can't be understood, but they were given here for our instruction. Um, but, but take note of them. Keep, keep observe, observing the, the images and observe the, the characteristics of them. And remember that Scripture interprets Scripture. Yeah. And so if those themes are coming up, where else in the Bible are those sort of things coming up? For instance, the city of Jerusalem, the, 
the 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 Zion idea here in this in this one. And then try and wade through them one at a time. You may not get it all figured out. You may not understand how every image and picture is working in the vision. Um, but these are meant to be eye-opening experiences for the original authors when God revealed something about himself and his plans to that person. And the same is true for us. God is trying to speak something. And so we need to be patient and do, do the labor of figuring out what that is in its original context. Any, any final thoughts on this subject, Tom? Well, only one came to mind, and that is it. There are periodically, uh, as the old guy at the table, there are periodically down through church history moments when people come with what they say is a new vision or dream mm-hmm. from God. Yeah. And you know, the principle is, is that the, the scriptures are complete. Yeah. Struggle to interpret these. If somebody comes to you with a new vision, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't feel the weight of that. Just say, what does the word say? So again, coming back, but in this case, yes, mm-hmm. uh, study these. Uh, use a concordance. Look for where that theme, that measuring line showed up yeah. many times else in Scripture. Yeah. Uh, so use a good resource. But again, separate what is recorded in Scripture's vision and dream from what you might hear in a contemporary preacher or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Very good. Well, well, uh, real quickly, um, I, I would normally be moving at this portion in the podcast into what are we studying this next week, Tom, in your sermon series. But this Sunday, we're actually stepping away from your typical sermon series because we're excited to say we've got we've got our One Faith event, our Fall One Faith Communion and Baptism event on the South Lawn uh, this Sunday. We're really excited about that. But you'll probably find that the teaching format is going to be a little different than typical yeah. listeners. Tom, Tom and I are going to do a discussion very similar to the podcast. We're going to do more of a Q&A sort of dialogue. Um, than a typical preaching message. It's going to be a little shorter and going to be a little different, um, but our hope is that it will be encouraging to you and allow us to speak to some specific things um, that we're experiencing as a church. Um, So, Tom, I still want to ask the questions, um, but obviously we're asking this in a slightly different way since both of us will be discussing it on Sunday. Uh, Let me just let you start off with it. What are you looking forward to in this, um, I'm going to say teaching time rather than message on Sunday? Well, I, the first thing is that we're, we're going to use Ephesians 4. We're going to talk about what it means to be united together in Christ. And uh, I think what I'm looking forward to is, is this Sunday is one of the highlights of the year mm-hmm. around here. It has been historically. Um, that, to have all the church together in one setting mm-hmm. for one moment. We've got some great baptism testimonies coming, but just... Just to be able to speak together, remind ourselves of who we are as one church in Christ Jesus. That's yeah. going to be highlight. And I, I would amend that. I'm I'm looking so forward to all being able to participate in the baptisms, participate in communion together, be together as one body in a way that we haven't been able to, especially lately, but even typically yeah. with multiple services, yeah. to try and build that unity and communion as a church. I, I know personally, I'm also really excited to come back to the, the mission, the purpose and vision for the church. You know, why do we exist? Why does our unity as a church matter so much because it's it's not some it's not some just kind of flippant thing that if we all get along, you know, it's going to yeah. be going well. There's there's really a, a really important theme at stake here in the unity of the church, and so yeah. I'm looking forward to that a whole lot. Um, how, how about how about how we prepare our hearts for Sunday? How how would you encourage our listeners to prepare their hearts for Sunday? Well, I think the important thing for Sunday is is to come recognizing you are a vital part of the church. I, I have to keep reminding myself and others that I, I come because others need me, yeah. not because I need it. I, I come to serve and encourage. We, we, 
there are there are some of our brothers and sisters are feeling isolated and alone, and coming and seeing that uh, the Elijah syndrome. I alone have not bowed the knee and realized, yeah. man, there are others. So I, that would be the encouragement. Just come, saying, Lord, you know, either through a smile or through my singing the songs together. We're outdoors, so it's less ris- mm. risky and all. That you would use me as an encouragement to others, knowing that if I do that when I leave, I myself will be encouraged. Mm. Yeah, what what a good reminder of of what we exist for. I I can't help think of you know Galatians and the fruit of the spirit. Yep. All of those love, patience, yep. peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. All of those being expressed in community. You know, and these are the yeah. things that we do for and with one another. We we outdo one another in showing honor and and things like that. I I I do hope that it's it's encouraging to people's hearts. Um, I know it's been a challenge for me as I've considered it in my own life as well as we've prepared for Sunday as well. So. Thanks for joining us for the podcast, listeners, and we really do hope you join us for our One Faith event on Sunday. We've been looking forward to it for a long time. We were thrilled that we were able to execute it, even through some of the challenges here this fall. Um, I want to say real quickly, if you're looking for more information on our topic this um, in this podcast on, on imagery and on the visions and, and, and things like that, the Bible Project has a couple of really good videos that I encourage you to check out in their How to Read the Bible series, both their video on the prophetic books and their ability video on apocalyptic literature, both really, really helpful when it comes to these subjects. Um, This Sunday, we don't have a weekly reading that we would normally give you to anticipate Tom's next message, but I would encourage you to read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and John 13, 1 through 35, if you get the time in your reading this week. Um, And we'd always love to hear from you with questions. We've continued to have people give us feedback and questions, so keep those coming. We appreciate that. It helps us know how to direct our conversations going forward. So, Last real quick announcement, if you're going to join us for the One Faith event this Sunday, there is still time to RSVP. Let us know if you'll be driving in a car, if you'll be sitting on the lawn, and whether or not you need a lunch. We'd love to provide that for you so that we can eat a lunch and take communion together. It's going to be a good time. So just know, listeners, we are praying for you, praying for this Sunday as we all come together, praying for your individual uh, reading and study of God's Word, and we hope you join us again next week for Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.